0: You're listening to The Sermon, The Gospel, It's Powerful, and It Can Transform Lives, originally taught on Sunday, August 27, 2023, by Pastor Lintrell Abston, speaking at Berean Baptist Church.
1: Hey, I got here about, I guess, three and a half years ago, and um, other than COVID happening right after I arrived, there was another notable experience. Uh, I had heard a story about this young man, uh, Lynn Trail Abston, who was down in the Dominican Republic, actually at the school that we're looking for sponsors for today, uh, teaching Spanish uh, or teaching Bible and Spanish to some kids down there. After I heard his story, I'm not going to talk about. It, a lot of you already know. Um, I was I was like I've got to meet him. So I meet him on Facebook uh, Messenger, I think it was. We had a couple meetings and. Uh, Maybe meeting two or three, I was like, hey, would you like to come back to Ohio for a job? So please sponsor kids at Fountain of Life because I stole him and his wife, who was the principal at the time. They came up here and were on staff for for a couple of years. And now they're getting ready to plant a church in Euclid, Ohio. Listen, we are so excited about this. Uh, And to hear more, uh, well, to hear from Pastor Lentrell, we asked him to come up before his launch, which is October 1st. We still have a little bit of time. You can keep walking. You never know when I'll stop talking. Just keep walking. His, his launch is coming up October 1st in Euclid. And we wanted, before that kicked off completely, we wanted to hear from him again here. So, would you welcome Pastor Lentrell?
0: Thank you. Thank you well, good morning, Berean family. It feels so good to say that. And I really do feel like I'm at home. And it's so good to see each and every one of you. And I'm excited. I'm excited about what the Lord is doing here. It seems like God is doing great things. Berean is growing. And I'm excited about what the Lord is doing in Euclid as well. And you all deserve an update on the church plant there. And so I won't spend a ton of time, but I just want you to know that God has been so gracious to us by granting us a team. So we have a core team who are committed and want to go to war with us as we seek to take the gospel there to Euclid. We have an official date for the church to launch, which is October 1st, and we'll appreciate your prayers for that, and we're just excited. I'm praying and asking the Lord to give us just one percent of our city. Euclid is about 48,000 people, and I'm asking the Lord, what's one what's give, percent? Give us 480 people, Lord, to come to know Christ, to see Jesus clearly and follow him fully. So that's a little bit of my vision. I'm excited about what God is going to do. Um, we'll start to have kind of preview services next week, and then October 1st will be our launch. So please keep praying for us. We, we covet your prayers. And I want to be honest. In this last year, it, it's been a hard road. There's been challenging times, and there's one message that I must keep preaching to my own heart. And it's this, that the gospel is powerful and it can transform lives. Amen. The gospel is powerful and it can transform lives. Just this past Thursday, I stood before 22 students. None of them have a relationship with Jesus. And they're kind of like, hey, hurry up and talk because we want pizza. But I'm standing there. And I give them the gospel, believing that the gospel is powerful and it can transform lives. But this is not just a message for me to preach to my heart or for our core team to hold on to. I believe that this is a message for you as well, Brian family. As you invest in gospel ministry and as you engage in gospel ministry, you too must remember That the gospel is powerful and it can transform lives. Have you ever questioned all the resources, all the giving you give to gospel ministry, all the investment you do in gospel ministry? Have you ever questioned, is this this making any impact in the world? You look at the map out there, have you ever wondered like, God, are we really making a difference in the world? Or, Or what about in your personal relationships? Maybe you have a son or daughter or grandchildren who don't know the Lord and you shared the gospel with them and they haven't come to faith now. Have you doubted whether or not they can be saved? Have you doubted that the the gospel message can have an effect in their hearts and lives? Have you ever doubted that? And and so I want to remind you this morning, again, that the gospel is powerful and it can transform lives. It's a reminder for us all this morning, and and to take our time to the Word, I want you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where I think we will be reminded of the power of the gospel. I want to read verses 1 through 14 of chapter 15, We'll look at another section of the chapter later, but to start our time, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 14. Paul writes to the church there in Corinth, now I remind you brothers of the gospel I preach to you, which you receive and which you stand and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scripture. And he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then, it was they, it was I or they, so we preached, and so you believe. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Pray with me. Father, as we now look to your word and seek to be encouraged in our gospel investment and gospel engagement, I ask that you would do that, Father, that you would encourage our hearts, that you would remind us of the power of your gospel, And that you would unleash us from this place to go and proclaim it. And that we would be generous in our giving to gospel ministry, knowing that it will bear fruit for your glory. Do that now, Father, in our hearts, we pray by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to hold out an outline that I want to use to navigate our time together through this portion of text. And I believe that it will remind us of the power of the gospel. I have three points. that are very simple, and they go like this. I want to talk about what is the gospel. Secondly, I want to talk about what the gospel does. And then third, I want to talk about what the gospel promises. Did you catch that? What is the gospel? What the gospel does, and then what the gospel promises. First, what is the gospel? Paul here, he tells us what the gospel is. To be simple, it is this message that God saves sinners. That God saves sinners. It is the report that in Jesus, God is reconciling this broken world to himself. God is redeeming the world from its brokenness and bondage through Jesus Christ. Look back with me at verse 3 where Paul tells us, for I deliver to you of first importance what I also receive, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture. It's an important verse right here, wouldn't you say? And there's some things that Paul is presupposing the audience understands. For, for verse 3 to have the effect that it should on us, we must understand that there's a couple of things tucked inside of this phrase. For, for Christ. Dying for our sins to really have an effect and really make sense, we need to understand at least three things. Number one is that God created the world for himself, for his glory. And he put man in the world who was responsible to him, to live with him, to worship him, to, to be his people. God created man for his glory, and man was responsible. And then the second thing, this text, you've got to understand kind of a presupposition here, is that something terribly wrong has happened to creation. Something terribly wrong has happened to creation. The world has fallen. Creation is now corrupt. Why? Because of sin. First parents rebelled against God in the garden, and ever since then, sin has totally corrupted the creation and it's not just out there brothers and sisters it's like in us amen sin has corrupted us our hearts are corrupted because of sin our desires our thoughts we as a people apart from God are corrupted by sin And then the third presupposition, I think, that's here for verse 3 to really have its effect on us is that there's only one who can make the world right. The world is broken, and there's only one who can fix it. And his name is Jesus. And so with that presupposition, with those presuppositions, verse 3 has its effect. It has a powerful effect on our hearts and a powerful effect for our world. Christ died for our sins. Now is good news, amen? When we understand that our world is broken and only one could make it right, Christ Jesus. Look at verse four with me. He says that he was buried and that he raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture. When Paul says that Christ was buried, I think it's important because he wants the people to know that Jesus was really dead. Like he was in the grave. It wasn't this theory of him Not really dying on the cross, but kind of being healed over here. No, he was dead. He was in the grave. But on the third day, he rose. He rose. And that's the main issue of this chapter. Some people there in Corinth were saying that there was no resurrection. And if you deny the resurrection, Paul is saying by implication, you are denying the gospel, which saves us. So Paul wants them to know that the resurrection is real and he retells us what the gospel is and he's solving this issue. We see that that's the issue when you look at verse 12. He says, now if Christ is proclaimed as as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. So Paul wants them to know, if you do away with the resurrection, you do away with the gospel. And he gives three amazing evidences for the resurrection. You might want to note these. He gives evidence for the resurrection that's quite compelling. Number one, he says there is an empty tomb. The tomb is empty. Christ is not there. He has risen. You can check historically. Go look. There's no body. The tomb is empty secondly he says look look there verse 5 he says he appeared to Cephas then the 12 then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time there were eyewitnesses of the risen Christ this is the compelling evidence here because if the apostles are proclaiming Christ has risen from the dead and they're saying hey you can go talk to people who've seen him it's a compelling argument. He says, many of them who are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And so Paul tells us the eyewitnesses are a compelling proof for the resurrection. And then last, lastly, the last evidence for the resurrection is the fact that lives are being changed by this Jesus. Lives are being changed. Paul himself, was changed and radically converted and became a, a minister of the gospel though he persecuted the church and all throughout that region lives were being changed. Those 500 witnesses, they, their lives were changed by the risen Jesus. So we have these uh, compelling arguments for the resurrection and to take a step back and say what's the point here? Here we have the gospel It is that God saves sinners through Jesus because of Jesus' life and his death and his resurrections. Sinner can be saved. Sinners can be saved if they place their trust in him, if they surrender their lives to Jesus. If they believe on him, they can be saved. That's the gospel. God saves sinners through Jesus. But secondly, what does the gospel do? What's the impact of the gospel? I want you to know that the gospel is not just information to be transferred over. The gospel brings with it an invitation into a relationship with Jesus. You can have the information up here, but the gospel doesn't aim just for our heads. Although there is content for the gospel, the gospel is aiming for our hearts. And when we enter into a relationship with Jesus, everything is changed. Amen? When you enter into a relationship with Jesus, he radically transformed everything about us. And we catch that this is more than information by how he starts in verse 1 and 2. He said, you receive the gospel. You see, it's more than just information. You believe that you're standing on the gospel. You are persevering. You're holding fast to the gospel. And so it's this this relationship that the gospel brings us into with Jesus. And when we enter into this relationship, it transforms us. Paul said in verse 9 that I was a prosecutor of the church. Now God has made me an apostle. The gospel transforms people. I myself, I was a broken and angry young man. And in a prison, Jesus came and brought good news to me through messengers, and it radically transformed my life. And you too, think about some of your lives, where you were before Jesus. I think the the text in chapter 6 where Paul lists this kind of, this group of sins, and he says, such were some of you. Think about what were you before Jesus? What were you? You were broken. You were hurting. You were empty. And yet through Jesus, you have been given life and hope and peace. Your world is transformed. The gospel transforms people. But not only in, and I want to just take a step back. Wait, if the gospel transforms people, what is actually happening in that transformation? Like let's go under the hood for a second. What's happening in the human heart when the gospel is at work? I want to offer to you two things. Looking under the hood at the human heart, the gospel is working inward renewal. First of all, say, what do you mean by that? Well, apart from Jesus, we live with shame and in fear and in guilt. But when the gospel comes in, it, it, it drives away the, the fear, the guilt, and the shame. It's taking out the old and replacing it with the new. And then what's the new? The new is this identity. When we accept Jesus, we are made children of God. Amen? Amen? We are made children of God. We are no longer full of guilt and shame and fear. We are now God's children. And that identity is super important. Through reconciliation with God, we are no longer his enemies, but his children. And that operating in the human heart radically transforms our behaviors, how we see the world, how we see ourselves, how we see other people. And so when the gospel When someone accepts Jesus through the gospel, it brings this inward renewal, removing guilt, fear, and shame, and bringing this assurance that you're God's child. You're accepted. You're loved. It's amazing. Now when that person with the transformed heart goes and lives in the world, the gospel then transforms communities. Amen? And that makes me think of Paul McMillan the missionary there in the Dominican Republic, he moved there around 86, 87 into Tomas, and he preached the gospel. Sometimes he would drive his little bus into the village and hang out a light and open his Bible and preach the gospel, and it was close to 15 years of ministry, and he seen little to no fruit. So much so that he got to a point where him and his wife were questioning if they should remain there in the Dominican and do missionary work. But he was sowing seeds. For 20 years, he sowed the seed of the gospel. And then, and let me just remind you, I, I didn't give context of that village, but the village of Juan Tomás was a very dark place. There was witchcraft within that village. There was this nominal Catholicism that really wasn't even... Uh, the Catholic faith in itself, it was very nominal. It was almost like the syncretistic religion, my wife could tell you. The place was a dark place. And for 20 years, Paul just sold the seed of the gospel. Then one day, God sent the group from Berean to do an English camp there. And all the seeds that had been planted, God made them grow. And a group of young people were saved. My wife... My wife in that group. And from that, a church formed. And as God began to bring his people together and form a church, ministries exploded. A school exploded. A high blood pressure program was brought in. And many people are now being impacted by the ministry there. The gospel not only transforms people, it transforms communities. And we can see that there in Wantamas. There's hundreds of students who have been released from the school with a biblical worldview now living that out in the community there. It's amazing to see how many people come and have been blessed by the ministry. There's so many people go down to the Dominican to, to serve and they just are amazed and are blessed themselves to see what God has done in that village. But what was it? What, how did that happen? It was the gospel. The seed is sown, is watered, but God will make it bear fruit. Amen? This leads me to my last point of what the gospel promises. What does the gospel promise us? Look with me at verse 20, later in this chapter. It says, chapter 15, verse 20, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came... Death, by a man, has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all died, so also in Christ all should be made alive. But each in its own order. Christ, the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. What is God promising us through the gospel? It's simply this, that he will restore all of creation through Jesus he's going to make all broken things new that's the promise and we have this assurance that when Christ comes back we we our bodies will be glorified and we will be with our Lord forever think about the hope you have in Christ that when he returns you will forever be with him And he will wipe away every tear from your eye. And in that glory, there will be no more sickness, no more death, no more cancer. There will be joy in life forevermore. Think about worshiping God without a sinful heart. Because that is yours in Christ because of his work coming in glory. Think about this hope we have. Now think about those who don't have it. Because the gospel makes great promises to us that God will restore all things and make all things right. But there are people right now outside of Christ. And so as we look at the promise of the gospel, it also produces a motivation for us to go And engage in gospel ministry and to continue to invest in gospel ministry. Because the hope you have, dear brother or sister, is not the hope of everyone in the world. There are many people, maybe those you know, maybe many in your family who lack this hope and assurance. And so this promise, as glorious as it is to us, to ground us, to give us roots, It's also one of motivation that will compel us to go out. And it's through gospel engagement. That's you verbalizing, sharing the gospel, telling people the good news of Jesus. And it's gospel investment. You investing in gospel ministry. I want to encourage you that the gospel is powerful and it will transform lives. So, continue to invest in it and continue to engage in gospel ministry. Let us pray. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to just open your word and to share with my dear brothers and sisters. We are reminded this morning that your gospel is powerful, it can transform lives. So energize us to continue to share it, to continue to invest in it. Energize us, Father, to help us not to lose heart, to become lukewarm in our gospel uh, proclamation, in our gospel ministry. Help us, Father, to be steadfast, encouraged, abounding in your work, investing in gospel ministry and engaging in gospel ministry help us to do that in jesus name amen
1: before everybody sits down for one quick thing um i'd like the deacons uh, that are on this floor to come forward and any pastor that's on this floor go ahead and join me on stage real quick everybody else go ahead and take a seat um also be pastoral and ingrid would you guys come up here we want to we want to pray over you guys um Boy, as it, as he was talking up on stage yeah as he was talking, especially on trail was talking I was like my goodness the 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 marks and tracks of a God movement Paul McMillan goes down. where is he from? He's Canadian, God can even use Canadians. this is absolutely right Dale <laughs> Paul McMillan goes down to Dominican Republic, 15, 20 years, is serving the Lord, preaching the gospel. God sends a team from Berean to go down there. We see people come to Christ. You know, we have this awesome woman who comes to Christ through this ministry. In the Dominican Republic, continues to follow the Lord, becomes a principal of the school that they started, a fountain of life. Lintrail, growing up in East Cleveland finds himself in prison, comes to Christ in prison, ends up in the Dominican Republic, having married Ingrid, learning Spanish and teaching the Bible in a school. Now, God calls both of them to leave Fountain of Life to come to Central Ohio and to Northern Ohio to plant a church in Euclid. Friends, only God can do that. Only God can do that. So I want to tell you about two opportunities just quickly. First of all, sponsor a kid at Fountain of Life. We kind of owe it to them. <laughs> so do that. You can do that today. And the second one is this. We, we want to make sure that there, there is a, um, that we are supporting the abstinence in this church plant. So their, their launch is October 1st. When you leave here today at our, at our information Uh, desk, which is kind of in that corner over there, Uh, there's a sign-up sheet. What we're wanting is 20 people to sign up to go um, uh, uh, to a service. So you might pick one service in October. We've got the calendar out there and and sign up. We would love to send 20 people um, all through October at least. Uh, uh, Maybe we'll probably talk about more than that. So you'd be signing up for one Sunday evening to go to Euclid to a service. I mean, who doesn't want to do that anyways, right? This is an easy ask. What we don't want um, is all of you to go at the same time. That would be a little bit overwhelming, uh, um, particularly when, when, when the abstinence are, are seeking to reach uh, people in Euclid. Let's make sure they have seats, right? So 20 people a week, um, so you can sign up to do that today. Uh, why don't you do this? We're going to close on this prayer. Go ahead and stand up. I'm going to ask you guys to come, come around and lay hands on the abstinence. And uh, I'm going to ask you to do this this. Just kind of extend your hand as I pray. Listen, I'll keep it short, right? I know that it's hard sometimes. Keep your hand up there, but let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I just, I'm just so amazed at your story, at your work, at your redemption. God, you have done, your gospel does indeed transform lives. And we're standing here around evidence. Many of us, almost all of us in this room are evidence of that. And we're blown away. God, I'm blown away that you would Take this young man from East Cleveland and take him all the way down to the Dominican Republic and marry this wonderful woman who who had come to a saving knowledge of you and then send them back to Euclid to plant a church. God, we are praying for this church plant. God, we are commissioning these two to go and to do this gospel work. God, we pray that it's not just 1%, but it's several percent of the people in Euclid. God, we pray that this is a movement, a beginning of a movement in Euclid where your name is honored, where where people are moving from death to death, unto life, God. God, we pray that you will do something incredible in Euclid, that this will explode beyond anybody's wildest dreams, that we will see revival coming forth from this church. God, be with Lintrell, be with Ingrid. Help them to, to, while this is all going on, help them to focus on their relationship both with you and with one another. God, I pray that you will protect them. I pray that you will protect their kids. God, I pray that every single one of their children will come to know you and passionately follow you. God, again, we pray that you will go with them. We know you've already gone before them. God, go with them. Anoint them. Give them power through your Holy Spirit. God, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, everybody, have a wonderful day. Make sure you guys have to go out to the lobby now. They'll be out in the lobby. Um, Sign up to go see them at one of the services and uh, sponsor a kid or two. Thanks.